This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, Awesome times, awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario has made the switch from Apple back to Windows. Co-host Andrew D. Bailey, not voluntarily. Yeah, he's actually bound right now, and he was gagged before too, but he was forced <laughs> to switch from Apple to Windows. Um, before we get started with this week's mailbag, I just want to continue reminding, imploring, begging, and pleading with everyone. Rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you're getting your podcasts. Art19, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, all that good stuff. You can find us there, but iTunes is still the best way to let us know uh, that you're out there, that you're listening. Throw us that five-star rating. Write a review. We really do appreciate those. Um, Let us know if you want to see anything, have any questions, whatever you want to put in there. Just let us know that, that you are out there that you are listening. Um, so, and if you've already done all that, if you've subscribed as well, start referring us to people, shout outs on Twitter, stealing people's phones, subscribing us, uh, subscribing to us for them. They will thank you later. Trust us. Um, with all that out of the way though, we, we have to ask because we need to ask Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, like you said, I'm, uh, I'm in the middle of an adjustment right now. My work computer is, I'm all Microsoft now at work. So I, I, like we said before the podcast, I haven't dealt with this platform in like eight years, at least not in like more than five minute bursts. So (laughs) I'm figuring that out. I think it'll be fine. The microphone seems to work. So that's good. Oh, that's the other thing too. You've been podcasting with a, with a mic these past few episodes. It's like a new, just a new era for hardwood. Yeah. Well, I felt like, uh, I felt like Blue Wire deserved my best, so I went out and bought a microphone. But I didn't these past two and a half years. (laughs) That was, yeah, um, that came out um, as a little more of a shot to you than I I ever would have wanted it to be, Dan. Um, We do have a mailbag, uh, as we generally have uh, on the weekend for the last few weeks. Uh, I love doing these mailbags. You guys are awesome about getting questions to us. Um, some good conversation generators. Um, so I am going to start off with a fairly broad question. Uh, 
Dan, as usual, is going to be kind of on the cuff, so you guys should be impressed with how quickly he provides answers. Uh, Or how little he knows. (laughs) This one, uh, I I could see it going either way as far as easy or hard to to answer off the cuff. Who are the top five players in the league? That's from Abhay Tawari. And I think I I actually did one of his questions last week too, so shout out to you, Abhay. Back-to-back, good questions. Um, I think Giannis has been the best player in basketball this season. If we're looking at just this season, I'm assuming that's what he's asking. Um, it's really open-ended. He just says, what are your top five players in the league? I'm going to do it just based off this season. Um, I would, I would definitely say Giannis is number one. I think you kind of have to put, um, James Harden number two. And I don't say that reluctantly. He's just been ridiculous. I don't know how you would put, um, anyone else in that order right now. It's it's weird. I want to put Anthony Davis there, but just if you ruin your team and then you don't get to play a bunch of minutes before uh, being shut down or being injured or whatever's happening over there, I just I can't bring myself to do it. So I think I'm going to go Giannis, Harden, Steph, KD, and LeBron. I think LeBron's maybe just inside the top five this season. So I actually kind of read it as um... – just who are the five best players right now? And and I didn't really confine it to this season. And I actually, I, I thought about it for a decent amount of time. I actually left LeBron out and I wondered if, if you would be able to keep him in. Um, and I minor in no particular order. I think Giannis is probably the best player in the NBA right now. Um, I, if we're just focusing on this season alone, I, I think he's, I don't want to say definitely because Harden's been ridiculous. Um, but Giannis is probably the best player this season. And I honestly think he's the best player in the NBA right now. Um, the rest of my top five, again, in no particular order is Harden, Curry and Durant. I think you said both of them. And then the fifth one I had was Anthony Davis. Uh, and if we are doing more of an emphasis on just this season, I can totally see leaving him out. Cause like you said, uh, the last, I don't, I don't even know how long it's been since his trade demand over a month now, month and a half. Um, over this stretch, it's it's it just hasn't been great for the Pelicans. It hasn't been great for Anthony Davis. <laughs> it hasn't been great for Rich Paul. Um, so if it, if I was focusing solely on this season, I might even bump him for Jokic. Um, but I think if I'm just saying the top five NBA players right now, I think that's my five: Giannis, Harden, so- Davis, Curry, and Durant. Which I would then take it to mean you're looking at in sort of a vacuum where it's just be Anthony Davis isn't being penalized for pay, for playing 20 minutes a game for a quarter of the season. Yeah. And that's interesting to me then that you would leave out LeBron from the top I know, five. I still think it, it's I, tough. And I, I think the NBA is in such a crazy good place right now that there's, there's probably seven or eight guys that would get consideration of this question. Don't you think? I mean, Kawhi, when he's healthy and playing, is probably in in consideration. Jokic, I think, should be in consideration. Um, I think a lot of people might consider Embiid. I wouldn't, but he's he's probably <laughs> he's probably in in at least the discussion for a lot of people. Yeah, for tons of people, for sure. Um, I mean, this season specifically, some people might throw Damian Lillard in there, who's been he's been ridiculous, absolutely nuts. Yeah. But I think I think you're. I think the six players that we end up naming are probably the correct answers. I would say the 
that if we were going with just the seventh guy who could most likely party crash this conversation, it's Jokic. And yeah. may, maybe PG-13 this year would be another good one. Yeah. On that, though, and we kind of talked about this in the last mailbag. This is my own mailbag question. <laughs> um, has Jokic usurped Paul George in your MVP ladder? Um, didn't I say he did the last time we talked about this? I can't remember. I, I think I am already there. It's it's very so, close. I think so am I two. too. I mean it's it's like neck and neck between those two guys. But I think what tipped the scales for me is Denver is neck and neck with Golden State for first in the West, and they have dealt with a ton of injuries this season. And the one constant all year long has been Jokic. That's that that was kind of um again, that kind of tipped the scales for me. I, I think I'm right there with you too, and it's not just Oklahoma City basically dropping to eighth for a minute in the Western Conference. It's also Paul George's shooting has been a little bit off yeah. over the past couple of weeks or so. And again, he's been fantastic this season, but for all the things you just said about Jokic, and then you combine with the winning element that seems to get baked into every MVP case anyway. And if if the Thunder are going to be six, seven, or eight in the West compared to the Nuggets at number two that decision becomes a whole lot easier because a lot of Paul George's case was rooted in, Hey, the thunder might be three or four, yeah. or maybe they'll even catch the nuggets. Yeah. I think, uh, so now our, or at least my MVP ladder would be Giannis Harden and Jokic. I think top three. Same these for me right now. All right, let's jump to Max Ubinas. You can tell me if I butchered the pronunciation there, Max. Um, is Jalen Brown back to being a blue chip prospect? I would say what when did he stop being a blue a blue chip prospect just because he did he had like a not a great start to the season so, it was I remember yeah. writing about that with his struggles and I was like the entire team was adjusting and maybe people saw the move to the bench as like this I I don't know I don't death knells too strong but this this demotion that he couldn't come back from um but he's been since then, which has almost been 50 games since he was permanently moved to the bench, there's been some starts scattered in there. Uh, he's at 13.6 points per game, uh, slashing 48.5, 36.4, and 69% from the foul line, which which isn't good. And then lately, he's been playing better defense overall during that stretch too. And then lately, he's just been, uh, by his standards, really just tearing it up um, on offense. So And, and shooting uh, over the past couple games – Pretty well from three. His uh, one of four showing against the the Nuggets the under uh, other night, notwithstanding. I think he's still right there. If I don't really know what the demarcation line is for him, but I don't know that he's the guy. Maybe last summer he would have been able to get you Kawhi Leonard if he was going to headline that package. I don't think he's going to be the guy that can headline an Anthony Davis package without Jason Tatum, though. So I just uh, figured out something I need to add to this computer is the ad blocker. Did you hear that? No. Okay. No, I did not. Well, let's hope the listeners didn't hear it either. Basketball reference is covered in ads. Um, we will be charging the company, though, if, yeah. if, they, uh, if yeah, our listeners should. do hear it. You'll have to build um, that company. It's already gone, so I don't even know what it was. Nicoderm. There you go. Nicoderm CQ. Free shout out. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever been on the Jalen Brown is a blue chipper bandwagon. Um, I maybe overrated is too strong of a word, but I've I've never really seen 
the appeal with him. I, well, I guess I do. He's He's got good size for a combo wing. He can guard a bunch of positions. Um, theoretically, he can hit some threes and be sort of a three and D guy for you. But when I saw this question last night, <clears throat> I compared um, his first three seasons to Andrew Wiggins' first three seasons. And that might sound crazy, um, but here, here's what I came up with. Jalen Brown, 16.9 points, six rebounds, 1.9 assists, 1.2 steals, um, 549 true shooting percentage, minus 1.9 box plus minus. Those are his career numbers. Um, and those basic numbers are per 75 possessions, as I am wont to do. So 17, 6, 2, and 1, basically. Andrew Wiggins' first three years, 21. Uh, 21.4 points, 4.3 rebounds, 2.2 assists, 1.1 steals per 75 possessions, 532 true shooting. So like a, a percent and a half lower than Browns and minus 2.4 box plus minus. So a decent, a decent jump down in box plus minus from Brown to Wiggins. Um, but I, <laughs> I just, I just have not seen it to the extent that a lot of other people have with Jalen Brown. I never felt like he was going to be a headliner for a superstar for the Celtics. Um, I think he can be a good solid, maybe fourth or fifth guy. And and maybe most people thought that as well, but I just, I don't see quite the same ceiling with him that a lot of other people do. The he's probably receiving, receiving a pretty large boon from last year. And, and even then, uh, he was in the negatives of B, uh, in the negative for BPM. My main concern with him would be what type of offensive player he could become because him with the ball in his hands, if he's not going to be more of a facilitator, that really does cap his ceiling. That being said, when you look at uh, just the, I mean his his foul shooting has just been always weird. And last year for him to hit almost forty percent from three and then under. 65% of the foul line was, was just bizarre, but that he had that year where um, he, he hit such a high clip from three and he's, he's shooting over 51% on twos for his career. I, I think, I, I don't know. I feel like you're just being a little bit too low on him. If I was trying to, if you were trying to look at him in in relative to other star prospects, then yeah, he's probably going to fall short. And a lot of people, including myself might've overreacted to last year, but uh, I, there's the defensive appeal, obviously, but I feel like he could become just this, maybe that third or that tertiary playmaker on the offensive end. And I'm wondering how much of an impact Boston's inconsistencies had on him this year. I know he's been on the bench for a while, but everyone still spent a bulk of the season sort of just adu- adjusting to this new normal. And I would be interested to either one, see him in a different situation where he's going to have more freedom, sort of like he did toward the end of last year, or two, after this year when Boston maybe consolidates some of its depth into a new player like Anthony Davis, or maybe they just start losing players, just Kyrie Irving and free agency. All right. This is from Mr. Nemo at awesome Niemeyer. <laughs> Best point guard since the all-star break, statistically speaking, this is another one that might be kind of tough. Um, what I did for this, <clears throat> I, I basically looked at, guards from the 50 game mark of the season to now um, sorted them by game score on basketball reference. And for those of you who don't know, game score is just John Hollinger created it. It takes everything in an individual box score, puts it into one number 
And uh, in terms of what's good and what's not, it's kind of similar to points per game. So if you have a guy who's averaging like mid twenties in game score, that's uh, at least in terms of basic numbers, that's a guy who's been pretty good. First among point guards in that bunch, can you guess who that would be? I'm going to say, is it Dame? Damian Lillard, you are correct. Um, he is, since the All-Star break, averaging, pull it up here, still getting used to windows, 26.1 points, 8.1 assists, um, 4.6 rebounds, true shooting of 61, um, obviously been ridiculous. Second on that list is Russell Ooh. Westbrook. Um, and he, since the All-Star break, is at 28.5 points. Uh, 10.6 rebounds, 7.6 assists. His assists are way down. He was at 11.2 pre-All-Star break. Um, but his true shooting percentage, <clears throat> pre-All-Star break was 44. Post-All-Star break is 555. If he is, at 555 is around league average. If he's if he's around there in the playoffs, um, I think that changes their fortunes quite a bit. And now the third one, I'm curious to see if you can guess that too, because this one's, this one's interesting. Uh, what The third one, is that what you're saying? Yeah, third best point guard in average game score since the All-Star break. Uh, is this going to be like a D'Angelo Russell moment? <laughs> um, no, but I think he's he is near the top. He's he's probably around 10. Russ is, Russ is shooting like 36% from three on 8.4 attempts per 36 <laughs> minutes since the All-Star break. That's that that I did and not I think realize. his season percentage is still below 30, so that tells you – how much he was struggling beforehand. <laughs> but number three on this list is Mike Conley. Ooh. Um, 25.7 points, 6.8 assists, um, 633 true shooting. Uh, and then in just the interest of um, being complete, here here is the rest. Kyrie Irving is four. Um, Stephen Curry, five. Kemba Walker, six. Trey Young, seven. Um. I'm still counting Drew Holiday as a point guard. He's eight. I think we can mm, – I'm, I'm going to leave Lou Williams off. D'Angelo Russell is nine. And then Chris Paul is ten. So, at least by game score, that's your top ten point guard since the All-Star break. Damian Lillard's been just basically absurd in the catch-alls, too. You sent me that yeah. not suitable for even hardwood knocks that uses profanity, that response to him – being sixth and then that Twitter responder who was very excited that he was higher than anyone else on the Warriors. He was very excited <laughs> that Damian Lillard had made his way up to sixth. Um all right, anything to add on the point guards? Nope. All right, let's move on to Edgar Encarnacion. What's the best suited team for Lonzo Ball? I guess is we're assuming that he's just going to get traded. Is the so that was that was kind of my first reaction too. I I thought I'm not prepared to say it's not the Lakers. Um, on the season, the Lakers are plus four point one points per hundred possessions, seventy sixth percentile. When LeBron and Lonzo are both on the floor, and they're plus one point three when LeBron's on the floor without Lonzo. So already he's in a situation where he's helping. But I I did have one other team where if he is traded, I think it it would be interesting to see. Um, for me, I know that he doesn't want to go there, but it would be Phoenix. Yeah, that's that's what I have written down too. 
New Orleans is interesting as well, too. If they're going to maybe start over, maybe him and Drew Holiday together in the backcourt, if he's part of an Anthony Davis trade that no one expects to happen between the Pelicans and the Lakers anymore, yeah. I feel like that would be another interesting landing spot. Yeah, I think Phoenix is really interesting because Devin Booker, he's obviously not in the same stratosphere as James Harden right now, but I think in terms of fit, you want a similar point guard next to him. I think I think Lonzo Ball could sort of be the Patrick Beverly um, to James Harden for, for Devin Booker. I, I botched that, but I think everybody's going to understand what I'm saying. Patrick Beverly um, could also be the Patrick Beverly to, to Devin Booker. Yeah, free agent that's true. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've actually thought about Patrick Beverly as, you know, filling that role next to Donovan Mitchell too. I, I think he's a guy that could probably plug and play just about anywhere. Yeah. If, but, uh, Utah decides to prioritize like a wing or something this summer for sure. Yeah, for sure. Is, you know, um, what gets interesting though, let's just say, um, that Chicago or Phoenix ends up with John Morant in the draft, which probably isn't that big of a leap. They don't like, there just isn't a huge a list of teams then that need starting mm-hmm. point guards in that scenario. There's, you know, you, uh, do you want Lonzo Ball in Utah? You want to strike a trade for him? Uh, Washington has John Wall, even though he's injured. The Spurs are going to have Murray back. Uh, I don't. I guess I don't know what would happen in Toronto if Kawhi left with with Kyle Lowry. There just there isn't a lot of point guard vacancies right now. I feel like, and there could they could be even slim just because the Magic trading for Markel Fultz kind of took care of one. Um, and it's not like the Sixers are going to be on the hunt for a high-end uh, replacement at the one. They have T.J. McConnell they could resign. There there aren't a lot of teams where I look at and say, you know what, Lonzo Ball could could work on that squad. Though, as I offhandedly mentioned, Chicago might potentially be an interesting one. What would LeVar Ball do if Lonzo got traded to Utah? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think that would go over well. Did you watch John Morant yesterday, by the way? I saw the highlights from it. I am not um I'll, I'm like I can college basketball when I watch it. I'm hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um a couple of the part we me and a couple of the other lawyers um went out for lunch to watch some games at Buffalo Wild Wings and a I could pay lunch. attention. <laughs> I could pay attention for like 5 minutes. Um <laughs> it it really is difficult to watch college basketball. I'm excited to see Zion tonight. Um, and the few times I've gotten to watch him this year, they're always pretty entertaining, but I w- we were talking about this yesterday. My college basketball fandom just hasn't been there for probably 10 years. Every once in a while, there'll be an individual player that I think I got to watch this guy. Like I was definitely that way with Ben Simmons. I've been that way with Zion this year. I, I almost kind of started to become that way with Lonzo ball towards the end of his UCLA season. Um, but as a whole, college is just rough. But uh, John Morant is another guy who's fun to watch. Um, Seeker consensus number two now? Yeah, I think he's definitely my two. I'm not even sure R.J. Barrett's three for me anymore. R.J. Barrett, I can confirm, is barely – I don't even know if he's five for me. <laughs> here's here's Tankathon's big board uh, as of this morning. Zion Williamson won. John Morant, two. Jarrett Culver, three, from Texas Tech. Brandon Clark, four. Um, and he's a guy who, depending on this tournament and what he does this summer, uh, he, he could be an interesting one. R.J. Barrett, five. Cam Reddish, six. Jackson Hayes, seven. DeAndre Hunter, eight. Jonte Porter, nine. And Bol Bol, ten. 
I would take Cam Reddish before RJ Barrett. And I said, I, I feel bad for radio stations that bring me on and want me to talk about March Madness <laughs> and nothing else. I, I honestly do. If you tell me in advance, I will do my research. But when it's off the cuff, I probably feel very bad for them with my draft takes. But I have said this week uh, three or four times that I would take Cam Reddish over RJ Barrett, and I wouldn't think twice about it. RJ Barrett has a hint of like Tim Hardaway Jr. Barnes. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, you could see that too. I was thinking like the Harrison Barnes, Andrew Wiggins, um, Tim Hardaway Jr. trifecta. That's what he is. <laughs> he might end uh, up being really good too, just because. Yeah, it's a wild card when you're dealing with people who are premier level shot creators, and so I'm prepared to be wrong. Um, I, you will not see me. When I first started out writing, there were articles that I wrote about players who were going to be bust before they even stepped foot on the NBA court. I will never write those articles again, and so I'm now now I'm just happier to be wrong. Like this is that that's fine, but I would take I think a guy like Cam Reddish, um, even Jared Culver. I think those are players that are going to translate easier to the next level immediately, and then to me end up having um, at least the more impactful careers. Even if RJ Barrett's going to be a near or plus 20 points per game score yeah all right <clears throat> jay wendling at jay wendling six asks in your opinion who's the best passing big man of all time yeah nicole Jokic. let's move on <laughs> it's Jokic for me too um it's not close anymore is it i was i was gonna say is there a discussion to be had <laughs> i i just don't think there is I don't – this is – what we're seeing from him is just – it's it's atyp- – we went through this last time, and I don't know if it's changed, but he was third in the league in assists per 75 possessions when we did our last mailbag. Like, that's – I posted on Twitter a few weeks ago that I thought he was the best passing big ever, and I got a lot of pushback, which is not surprising. It's Twitter. Um <laughs> A lot of people brought up Bill Walton, who's obviously amazing. A lot of people brought up Arvita Sabonis, who was obviously amazing. Um, Imagine if Arvita Sabonis came over earlier. Maybe this might be a conversation. Maybe, yeah. But even then, nobody's touching the volume of passing that Nikola Jokic is. Are you ready for this? All time among centers in assists per 36 minutes for their career. I looked this up too. Simbular is number one. (laughs) <laughs> just yeah, but of people who've actually played in more than 10 games Nikola yeah. Jokic is in is in first at 6.6 assists per 36 minutes second place is Alvin Adams at 5.3 he comes up a lot the the two guys that always come up when I'm searching about passing stats for Jokic are Tom Borwinkle and Alvin Adams if you want if you guys want a, a fun um Basketball reference search. Go look at Alvin Adams' rookie season. It is unbelievable. Uh, but there's right. an, even if we want to take away like the, I guess it gets weird with the center qualifiers, and so you just you even do it by height. Ben Simmons right now technically has the edge over Nikola yeah. Jokic, and but if you want to, big man, he's yeah. a point guard. Um, but I'm just saying, a player six ten or no, I did six ten as well. Yeah, so of six ten or taller, Jokic would still be second and. It's I'm there are names out there. And I mean, the Gasol brothers are in that conversation as well. I just don't you, you, your point I think is the most salient one who has ever done it with this type of volume for this long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the only other guys that are close to him, 
So I did it by assists per 75 possessions. The only one ahead of him still is Ben Simmons. And then I also did assist percentage for 6'10 guys. Um, ben Simmons is one. He's a point guard. Nikola Jokic is two. He's a center. Tony Kukoc, three, a, a sort of a wing forward. Blake Griffin is exclusively a power forward. He's four. Giannis Antetokounmpo is five. Um, I don't even know what we call him anymore. Tom Borwinkle, six, Kevin Garnett, seven, Lamar Odom, eight, DeMarcus Cousins, nine. So uh, Borwinkle was a true center, too. I was going to say we had to get to till nine to get Cousins, but Borwinkle's also a center. And then Hidu Turkoglu was 10, also a wing, sort of a wing forward, I guess. Um, why did I forget that Kukoc was 6'10"? I don't know why I forgot that. He was huge. And the other thing I was thinking about when I, when I read this question last night is it's not just the volume. Um, with Nikola Jokic. I mean, that's a big feather in his cap in this argument, but his vision is amazing. Um, the pinpoint accuracy of some of those one-handed like water polo passes is amazing. Uh, the look-offs, it's... The running fast breaks too, which is something yeah. most other great I mean, passing he, bigs never did. Yeah, he, he's he got some passing skills that I just don't think we've seen uh, from big guys really ever before even a guy like Arvita Sabonis who was an amazing passer a lot of what he was doing was coming out of the low post with Jokic it comes from everywhere so he's he is number one to me I understand some of the old school guys who will go with Walton or, or Sabonis but it's it's definitely Jokic for me and if he's not there yet and I I believe he is he's going to get there at some, like if this is just a matter of oh he's only been in the NBA for basically a half decade at this point yeah uh, uh, sort of related to this, though, because you mentioned assist percentage. Um, a quick aside, I have a new rule on Twitter before because when people <laughs> say something stupid to me, I tend to get really defensive or angry at first. But my new rule is unless you've engaged with me in the past, I will now click on their profile and look at their most recent tweets um, to make sure that I'm not <laughs> engaging a troll. And that it's helped me. It's honestly helped me walk away from something. So someone everyone I've been killed for my opinion on D'Angelo Russell and it's, it's fine. I've been, I, I fully admit that I was wrong with my comments at the beginning of the season and that I'm lower on him than most still. I'm at a point where he's a very good basketball player. He deserved to be an all-star this season and I still wouldn't pay him close to max money. That's just my opinion on him. And so someone mm-hmm. on Twitter told me that I, that all he can tell for my opinion is that I don't like D'Angelo Russell personally. And I didn't understand that. And so I was about to respond, but then I clicked on their profile and looked and he, his, like, I I went further than I normally do because the tweets were so funny, but he had an onslaught of defenses of why D'Angelo Russell is better than Ben Simmons. And he used assist percentage to prove that D'Angelo Russell is a better passer slash playmaker than Ben Simmons. And that that then stopped me from <laughs> engaging any further because I thought that was an interesting argument to make. Then I hope you hit the mute button after that. I can't remember if I did. I'm not as quick with that thing as you are. I I never used to use it, but in the last probably six months, um, it's if if your if your first response to me and like you, it's generally if if I've never interacted with someone before and the first thing they say is like go kill yourself over this basketball opinion. <laughs> I mean, even if I've interacted with someone before and they told me to kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, just nastiness is a pretty quick way to get muted by me. It's, um, and I don't, I don't get the inferences of all I can tell is that you don't like him personally. 
Yeah, okay. Because of Twitter. People are just dumb on there. A lot of people anyway. Paul Dolores, what should the Grizzlies do with Conley next season or offseason? They should trade him. This is – and here, here's the danger there, though. I don't think it's a given. When you look at this team now, they are probably going to keep their pick that's owed to Boston, top eight protection. Let's say they're going into next season or looking at next season. They have whoever they draft in the top seven this year. I'll, I'll put them there. Jaron Jackson Jr. healthy. Uh, and then Jonas Valanciunas and C.J. Miles pick up their player options. And you already have Kyle Anderson. And, you know, you, Avery Bradley kind of played pretty well before he got injured. And, and we have DeLon Wright, uh, who's a restrictive agent. I think there's a very clear and present danger of the Grizzlies convincing themselves to go for the playoffs again next season. I don't think they should, but I could see it happening. I'm with you. I think they should probably trade him. I, I saw an article recently on, I think it was Grizzly Bear Blues. It was like, they need they need a great, uh, you know, a, a 1A to build around. And maybe it's still Mike Conley. And I thought, maybe. Uh, I, I think I would probably trade him too, especially if he continues to play like this for the rest of the season. He's going to up his value. Um, if he can If he can be healthy for an entire season and averaging like 20 and 7, uh, he's he's going to be very attractive to a lot of teams. I think it was Kevin O'Connor just the other day wrote that Utah might reopen those negotiations this summer. So there's an option for them. Um, I don't know if <laughs> I think the Dante Exum thing's probably out after he suffered another injury. That was supposedly the holdup last time is that Utah didn't want to give up Exum. There was some other reports that was saying it was because Utah didn't want to give up two firsts. Um, so I, I think a lot of teams are going to call them this summer, and they could get a pretty good haul if Conley keeps playing the way he is. And in theory, over the offseason, it becomes easier to get two first because you can get another team's draft pick from yep. 2019, and they can still give you their 2020 pick. And when you're the the buyer in that situation, it's, yes, you're still giving up two first-round prospects, but this isn't something that leaks past 2021 now. It's over with yep. after next summer, that commitment. That's a good point. Brian at what underscore a underscore B a could the NBA find a viable solution to tanking by having a lottery playoff bracket bracket or something like that. The stakes could be for actual lottery order or just even odds either way. I've heard ideas like this before and I, I actually kind of like it. If there was just a one-off tournament between the 14 teams that didn't make the playoffs to see who got the number one pick. Um, and maybe your seeding is determined by the best record of those 14. So if you're like ninth in your conference, you get a buy um, in this lottery tournament. And it, it wouldn't have to take long if it's just single elimination. I, I, I think something like this sounds really gimmicky, but it would be a lot of fun to watch. Same here. I wondered about the logistics of it all, though, because then you're, there are teams that are just bad because of injuries or... Yeah. Uh, they're just bad because they're actually still trying to like the Hawks would be a good example here. They haven't shut anybody down and they're playing better. They just, they just beat your jazz. But I, I would almost like in that situation, I'm okay with what the Hawks have done because it wasn't egregious and they haven't been shutting players down. I'm wondering if you penalize those teams, maybe Atlanta is actually a bad example because of how they've perked up over the past couple of months. Though they've been. They could, yeah. I was going to say they would be, they'd be pretty uh, pesky in a tournament like that. I think. 
Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair. The injuries thing then would concern me because there there would be situations where teams are just bad because they they they've lost players for the season or even maybe a superstar forced their way off said team. Like if the Pelicans had traded Anthony Davis this year. Yeah. I'd yeah. still watch it though. Um, but there's there's never going to be a perfect solution to to tanking or or the lottery odds. I do however believe I was going to say I honestly don't think tanking is a huge problem either. I mean, a fix like this is fun to me in theory, but I don't think tanking is like ruining the NBA. No, I'm with you. And I I do believe that the flattened odds now might deliver a reality check to where it becomes even less of an incentive, or maybe it's just there'll still be tanking, but you're not going to trip over yourself to get a 14% chance compared to a 12.5% chance is the fourth best, uh, fourth worst record. It's, it's going to be um, it theoretically, it, it it really could happen. Like someone outside the, one of the bottom five records this year could win the lottery. Oh yeah. Um, every every time I look at the new odds, I'm still a little bit surprised at how much different it is. Which is interesting because I remember when they first announced it, I thought that didn't do anything. But when you when you actually sit down and look at the percentages, like if you go to Tankathon and just look at them, it's crazy. I mean, a nine percent chance for the sixth team is not that much worse than the fourteen percent chance that the that the three worst teams have. Exactly, and then it's even when you change the odds and you're not really in season and you're just writing out, oh, teams will still punt on a year for that. But then you're actually yeah. watch the season play out and just how hard it yeah. is to to watch the Knicks or or just <laughs> what the the Suns and Cavaliers and and Bulls have gone through. Those those differences matter. Yep. Speaking of the Suns, you know I had to fi- uh, mix one in here. Kerrigan Holt asks, how does Jimmer work out for the Suns? He'll average 50 points per 36 minutes with a 50-40-90 shooting slash, I think. What say you? The the thing I want more than anything for the rest of this regular season is one week of Jimmer mania. If he just averages like even high teens when he's with the Suns, I would be so thrilled. It's a two-year deal with a second-year option, and that second year is just nineteen twenty, right? Mm-hmm. So theoretically, this this could just be a one week thing for the Suns, and then they don't pick up the option in the summer. He's he's going to have to be, I think, pretty good um, for for the remainder of the season for them to pick up that option. But if there is a situation where he can shine, it's Phoenix. I mean, they haven't had a real point guard all season. Tyler Johnson. Um, has helped a little bit. De'Anthony Melton has shown some chops on defense. We talked about his steal percentage a few episodes back. Um, but Phoenix is a place where he'll certainly be able to put up some shots. So it'll it's it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, if he, I just, if you want him to stick, I don't even know that he needs to score so much as just prove that he could shoot efficiently from three in the NBA. Yeah. And then if he's going to rack up assists, which might be hard given the personnel that Phoenix has left for the rest of the season, that just might be enough for them to say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll pick up that option, particularly if they don't end up being in John Morant position for the NBA draft. Yeah, for sure. I, that's a good point. He probably needs to show more beyond the scoring because, I mean, that's that's never been the biggest question for him. If he can be at least competitive on defense, get other guys involved, that'll probably help. Uh, JWL at Jester asks, do you think this team, he's referring to Utah, can be successful with Donovan Mitchell starting as point guard and Neto backing him up, thus making a play for a scoring wing um, better than going after a point guard? That would be, I think, haven't we? We've kind of talked about that before already. If you 
cut out the middleman a little bit and you use Royce O'Neal um, yeah. with Donovan Mitchell, or if you just want to add a wing and move Donovan Mitchell to the one, that's fine too. I think it could, I think it could work out. He's been since the All Star break really shined as a passer um, yeah. as as well, and I feel there's room to me for him to improve, but he's at. I think he's at four point five, more than four point five assists per thirty six minutes since the All Star break. The assist to turnover ratio, I would say, still isn't that great, but I don't. I think you can have him as. I think there's a chance you can have him as your primary playmaker and be fine. Again, I said this on one of the prior pods. I don't know if he really is that player, but looking at the Jazz's setup, and if you're going to add like a a nice high end wing with a floor game, then I do think that there's a path to it working for sure. Yeah, and I don't think you really need a traditional point guard um, in in a lot of the NBA, but especially in Utah's system. Their best season over the last three years, at least in terms of wins, was when George Hill was just playing off of Gordon Hayward, who was right. most possessions the primary playmaker. So you could do that with Donovan Mitchell um, and just surround him with a bunch of wings. I, I actually think that's the way they probably should go. Um this off season and then go after sort of a combo forward type. I I'm all in on them trying to trade for Danilo Gallinari. If the Clippers just want cap space, that that would be very interesting to move. You slide Mitchell down to the one. Um, even if Gallinari is the only guy you get, if you go Mitchell O'Neal Ingles Gallinari and, and Gobert, I think that's a better starting five than what they have this season. I, <clears throat> I looked up this number in response to this question. Mitchell's played 593 minutes with Rubio, Neto, and Exum all off the floor. And in those minutes, he's averaging 29.5 points, 5.8 assists, 5.2 rebounds, 2.93s, and 1.3 steals for 36 minutes. And he's shooting over 37% from three. Um, he's He's been very good in the point guard role this season. And I think he's he's shown enough to be confident that he can do it for an entire season. Do you know what um, Jazz's offensive rating, though, is during those minutes? Ooh, that's a good thing to bring up. What is it? <clears throat> I know he's a plus in the plus-minus. I didn't actually look at offense and defense, though. Yeah, so he's – with them, at po- I don't know how cleaning the glass really classifies the minutes when he plays point guard. Is it with all three of them off the floor? I think it is looking at his possession total. 1,236 possessions without Exum, Neto, and Rubio. Um, the Jazz are a plus 1.2 overall during those minutes but their offensive rating is 107.4, which is the 30th percentile. Yeah. I, I still think it could work, especially if you got a floor spacer like Gallinari at the four. Well, and it's a, you do need another guy, that safety valve, who can make plays off the dribble as well still, yeah. too. And that's whether, even if you don't want Mitchell to be your point guard, then you still need that player. And that's not yeah. really a knock against Mitchell. I think y- your point was good, that you don't really need a traditional point guard, but they are going to need that. If they're going to go wing, they need that Gallinari type guy. I don't think Bojan Bogdanovic would work in that example because he's not um, he's not the best facilitator. He can make some plays for others, but Gallinari would just be a better example of someone who gets to the line a ton and um, makes some really nice drop-offs and kickouts. Yeah. NBA Talk at A Talk NB. Is Cat an all-NBA player this year? Yeah, I think he's probably third-team all-NBA center. I don't know that I could put him above um, Embiid or Jokic at this point, maybe I could put him above Embiid just by games played. But I would, I would think he's a virtual lock to make one of the the latter two All NBA teams. I think that's kind of the consensus right now for All NBA centers. Um, 
Jokic, Embiid, and Towns. If the average rankings that I do um, determined all NBA, Anthony Davis would still be the first center. Jokic would be the second center, and Gobert would be the third center. Um, and then there's still Vucevic ahead of Carl Anthony Towns. So for centers, it goes Davis, Jokic, Gobert, Vucevic, Towns, Embiid, Nurkic. Um, I don't know how many I named there, maybe six. Uh, but I I think the guys who are actually going to get some consideration, um, are I, I, those three might already be locked in, actually. Jokic, Embiid, and Towns. Um, Towns certainly has more counting numbers than Gobert does, but I, I think he should he should at least still be in the discussion. Um, he, he, to me, is maybe I'm a homer, but I still think he's underrated. I would probably consider putting him ahead of Embiid before I would Towns at this point, looking at Cat's closing kick. Yeah. Um, oh, hey, Mark, at K-R-A-M-S-D-N-O-M-D-E. Are Trey Young and John Collins actually a good duo? Uh, I mean, they're they're in year one of a season in which John Collins missed substantive time to start the year. I don't – are they a bad combo defensively? Yes, it's going to be brutal unless you put the right players around them. But when you look at Collins' willingness to shoot the three as his accuracy comes along, his ability to roll tall toward the rim, just his overall bounce, coupled with Young's vision – I don't know what would make them a bad duo. Offensively, I think they're an ideal match. I like them a lot already. I, these numbers have tailed off a little bit. Uh, I, I feel like they were better the last time I looked them up, which was a couple months ago. But overall, Atlanta's minus 7.1 points per 100 possessions, which is the 21st percentile. They're only minus 2.8, um, which still doesn't sound good, but it's a pretty big jump up from minus 7.1 when Trey Young and John Collins are on the floor. And like you said, I I think they fit together. They fit together um, very well. I I've, I've said it a bunch of times now. I think my ideal spot for Zion is there in Atlanta. You move John Collins to the five full time, have Zion at the four. Um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe Baysmore is still there to play the three. But if your if your first four guys are Young, Herder, Zion, and John Collins, you're set up for a very very interesting future. Yeah, I think, again, I'm with you there. All right, Nick, um, at Nick Splitter, what do the Sixers have to do in this last third of the season to prove they are legitimate postseason contender? Is there even a third of the season left? No, it's probably, it's, I mean, it's maybe like a sixth at this point. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, I guess I don't know if there's anything else they need, they can prove in like 10 games. I guess the bigger thing would be, can their bench just be more reliable? Because the starting lineup, I know the sample size isn't huge for them, but they're going to end up being fire. Like that's just, that's going to be a thing for them. But the the Sixers bench, like they're, they're very top heavy and maybe that's okay in the playoffs when your rotations shrink at the same time, uh, you, you do want, you don't want to be in a situation where it was the other night where James Ennis was the only bench player who scored for them. And so this is just it's overall the Sixers' bench on the season is they're 11th in point differential per 100 possessions but that actually feels like high like if you if if, if I isolate that to just January 1st that brings them to 7th that actually really shocks me i would still think they need more consistency from their bench i 
I'm like, I'm flabbergasted that that's just, that's where, that's where they're actually at. I would have expected them to be, be much lower. And they have been since the trade deadline. They're 15th and, and a net negative overall per 100 possessions. Yeah. I, I mean, there's only, like I said, like 10 games left. Um, I didn't really have much worked up for this answer besides if, if they just keep playing the way they are. I, I honestly think they are already a contender to get to the finals. I, I think Milwaukee would be my pick um, with with some internal struggle over the Raptors, but I wouldn't be stunned if Philly came out of there. I, I think the top three in the East and maybe even the top four, depending on what day you catch the Celtics, um, the top end talent on all those teams is really, really good, especially Philly and um, I can't even limit it to one. I think Philly, Milwaukee, and Toronto all have really, really good starting fives. So whichever one just happens to be clicking um, in the second round in the conference finals, and and I this is my long-winded way of saying I just wouldn't be shocked if any of those three teams made the finals. The only one that would mildly surprise me is Boston. Philly's starting five has played, this is a sub 300 possession sample size, but they have an offensive rating of 124.3 and a defensive rating of 102.4. That's a net diff, That's a net rating of 21.9. That is bonkers. And everyone's talking about how Jimmy Butler has become this like forgotten man. And they're, they're definitely going to let him walk this season. And he's the guy that everybody's worried about in the playoffs. Is he going to accept his role? Um, do you know where he is on the average rankings right now? Is he still? He's got to still be in the top twenty, right? Yeah, he's nineteenth. He's he's still been really good this season, despite all the change and all the um, question marks about his role. He's still a top twenty player, uh, at least by this measure this season. They have Joel Embiid at number twelve, Jimmy Butler at number nineteen. I think Ben Simmons is top forty. I'm going to look him up. Ben Simmons is thirty one. Uh, and Tobias Harris is 45. So they've got four top 50 players in their starting five. Um, and J.J. Redick is right around 100. I mean, this starting five is just stacked right now. Um, so I, I think they are, they're already a legitimate postseason contender in my mind. Uh, I, like I said, I would still probably pick the Bucks. I've, I've wavered slightly on them because of the Malcolm Brogdon loss, which is a big deal, but I'm not sure it's as big a deal as a lot of people are making it out to be. I think they still have clearly the best player in the conference and everybody else works well with him. Bledsoe, Middleton, Lopez. Um, Toronto's starting five is pretty ridiculous too when it's all healthy and clicking. So the Eastern playoffs are going to be really, really fun this season. The Jimmy Butler stuff still is interesting to me. I wouldn't. I would never think one that the Sixers would let him walk. I would more so be worried about whether he wants the role that he has now. And he is yeah. fourth on the team in touches per game since the Tobias Harris trade. But I was going to ask about that. He is now third in shot attempts per thirty-six minutes and second in usage rate. And so when you have it, it one to me helps that Tobias Harris seems like he's a guy who's willing to assume a catch and shoot heavy role. Two, Ben Simmons' first instincts are to pass. And I don't know if this is a balance that Jimmy Butler wants long-term, and it probably won't matter if they're winning slash they, they give him the max or close to it. He's, he's like not integral at the beginning of games. That's a bad word. He's just not super active. And then he just turns on the jets during crunch time. 
And if they're going to go to him in those situations still, then maybe the concern is exacerbated. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> he, he really is still the guy for the big shots. Um, and so maybe that helps him accept the rest of his role a little bit more. Um, it's It's kind of interesting that it's almost like they take turns carrying the team. Um, but yeah, I, I think all the questions about his role and his fit with Philly have been slightly overblown. I don't know if he's going to go back to the Sixers or not this summer. I mean, that's going to be a massive tax bill if they bring everybody back. But in terms of right here and now, what they're going to do this postseason, I, I think they're going to be really, really tough. Um, how would you rank those four teams, by the way? Milwaukee, uh, Toronto, Philadelphia, and Boston. If I'm just saying which is most likely to make it to the NBA Finals. Yeah, let's let's phrase it that way. I would go Toronto, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston at this point. Ah, the Raptors. I picked them at uh, the start of the season or before the start of the season. I'm sticking to it. I still feel like they're going to be a team that really hits their stride in the postseason when they're probably not dealing with so many injuries slash absences. You've had more time with Marc Gasol, who's already looks at home when he's running some of those lineups. And I'm convinced that Kawhi Leonard is going to flip some kind of switch in the postseason and that even if his offense remains the same or he's sort of existing outside the team, I feel like I've said that ad nauseum. Um, uh, I, I think his defense is going to end up demonstrably improving. Yeah, I picked Toronto before the season started too. Um, so I, I needed some team to show me some reason to not have them at this point. And I feel like Milwaukee's shown me enough. Um, again, the Malcolm Brogdon injury is, is not insignificant. I mean, they're going to feel that, but Giannis is just, I mean, I, we started this episode with, um, who are the best five players in the league right now? And I honestly think number one is probably Giannis and that carries a lot of weight in a playoff series. So I, I don't think it's a given that it's going to be Milwaukee, but that would be my pick right now. And I think my order is Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly, and Boston. Um, that that top four is going to be really fun to to see Duke it out in the round of the playoffs when they're all there. Hopefully they all get there. Um, It'll be hysterical if one of them gets bounced in the first round. Yeah, it would. Uh, that wraps us up. Those are all the questions that I bookmarked anyway. Um, if we didn't get to your question, I apologize. Keep feeding them to us and hopefully we'll get to you in the next episode. We sincerely appreciate all the feedback we get on uh, – these tweets and on the podcast in general, whether it's on Twitter or on the Apple podcast reviews or um, wherever you interact with us, we sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. Uh, as always, <clears throat> I encourage everyone to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you've already done that, share it with your friends and family to brighten their lives. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter to interact there. Uh, Dan is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor uh, is at NBA underscore math. You can also follow our new host site at Blue Wire Pods. They recently did a giveaway. Uh, and I think everybody on Twitter loves free merchandise. So pay attention to that. They'll probably do another one here fairly soon. And as always, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Oudry and Kyle
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.